0: I think one of our values is larger tables, not higher fences, right? Instead of creating a higher fence and protecting us from folks on the outside, we want to build larger tables and bring them inside and just share life together.
1: Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Shalane, and we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite sized ways. Patrick Alaschek has been involved in global justice issues for more than 30 years. While pioneering Hope for the Nation's Philippines in a slum community with his wife, Inika, and two daughters, he was confronted with issues related to extreme poverty, war, and trafficking. That started a quest for him to align with people who are standing with voiceless and invisible children and developing sustainable enterprises for communities. Patrick is the global pastor at 10th Church in Vancouver, and I'm delighted that you're here to join today. Patrick, welcome.
0: Thank you, Strain. It's a joy to be with you today.
1: Great. Well, Patrick, we're going to jump right in, and I would love for you to begin by answering the question What does it mean to thrive?
0: Wow. Well, thanks. That's a great question. And first thing I did was go to the dictionary and discovered that to thrive (laughs) means to grow vigorously or to flourish. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of these words, to thrive and to flourish, I think of plants. You know, living in Mindanao, the southern Philippines, for all these years, we saw that plants flourished all around us um, Mm -hmm. because all the elements were there, right? There was good sunlight. There was water moisture. There was the good air. There was soil, um, nutrients mm-hmm. in the soil. And that all contributed to a really healthy ecosystem for flourishing.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: and I also think of uh, Psalm 92, which says, The righteous flourish like a palm tree. Hmm. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. And they will still bear fruit in old age. <laughs> they will stay mm-hmm. fresh and green. So I love that visual image of flourishing through plants and through trees hmm. and i remember a number of years ago when i first started seeing palm trees i was fascinated you know and i'd see um how they how they flourished and how they towered and i did a little bit of research back in the days before google because oh, i went okay. to the library and found some books <laughs> and encyclopedias and i learned uh-huh. a bit about palm trees uh-huh. and um, not only are palm trees useful and beneficial but i found that their roots they they actually underneath the surface they they, they search hard for nutrients and they hmm. and they search wide like they don't necessarily go down deep but they search wide searching hmm. for nutrients in the soil for water and even nearby palm trees actually might even give a little bit of help by latching onto their roots and giving them a little bit of help in terms of giving their own nourishment away so i thought oh, that was interesting. a pretty pretty cool thought when you know we're, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Those that are in a right relationship with God, right relationship Mm. with people, right relationship with themselves, right relationship with the environment, then -hmm. they will flourish and we can learn a lot from the palm tree.
1: Hmm. Wow, that is fascinating. And I love that you did that research the old-fashioned way. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Patrick, you know that we're here to talk about... Flourishing, yes, but also some of the challenges that people encounter and keep it, that keep them from thriving or flourishing. Mm. What what really began this journey for you? What happened when you first experienced or encountered material poverty?
0: Mm, wow, you're going to be uh, causing me to go back a few years, but mm. I was um, on a pathway to bigger and better, wanting to be in business, wanting to be wealthy, uh, went on a short-term three-month trip to Fiji, of all places. You think, oh, there's no poverty in Fiji. Uh, hmm. It's all beaches and fun, but there actually are some, some places where there's a fair bit of rural poverty. And living next to a family with five children, we got to know them, and it was really special because they're great kids uh, living in a very poor community, and then discovered they actually professional beggars. Um, hmm. And it has sort of changed everything for us. It's like, wow, you know, this is what it's like to actually get to know kids that are begging on the streets every day. And so that was just one, my first real introduction to it, they really caused me to think that, oh, goodness, there's something that uh, it's, it's, a the world is not how it ought to be. Hmm. Um, coming back and just, I decided to to kind of change the trajectory of my life a little bit, a little bit less towards wanting more and more and bigger and better and being a little bit more involving, uh, I guess a life that is mindful of others, especially those that are in material poverty. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, And just God was very faithful to bring up situation after situation, uh, place after place, which eventually led us um, in December 15th, 1999 for my wife and I and our kids two and four to move to an urban poor slum community in the Philippines. Uh, mm. Just a little note to self, if you're going to move to another country, don't move two weeks before a new millennium. It's not easy <laughs> to set up a house and get established when you have two two-hour lineups and, you know, small kids in arms. Yeah, it was quite oh, a Oh, my
1: goodness. quite a way. But
0: nonetheless, um, we actually lived. Uh, we were welcomed into a slum community and we lived there for years. And that's mm. where we learned a lot about ourselves mm. and about the joy that also can be, in a com- sometimes we think material poverty is all, all bad, all bummer, all difficult, but mm-hmm. there is some extreme joys that also happen in communities that really depend on each other. So mm. that was really a, a major learning lesson for us. Armed with the book Companion to the Poor by Viv Grigg. I'm not sure if you know Viv Grigg's stuff. He was the founder of Servants to Asia's Urban Poor. We but we, just, we we were reading these books on what it's like to live incarnationally in poor areas. And uh, that's that was kind of our guide and uh, mm. learned, learned mm-hmm. a ton.
1: So you did an immersion experience. You actually lived right in a slum community.
0: Yes. My wife, Inika, was a midwife. And so the clinic was just down the street. So she went on 24-hour shifts, delivering hundreds of babies in her time there, which wow. really opened up the door to the whole community because mm-hmm. when you're a midwife, you get to know the entire family, even the the men, the husbands, the children, mm-hmm. the of course the the women intimately. But um, yeah, it was a great mm-hmm. way to be able to connect with a a, a community.
1: Hmm. Wow. So, that's part, I'm sure there's probably hours worth of conversation we could have about the the foundation that Mm -hmm. God placed for you and your family that came before your work at Tenth Church. But I'd really love to spend some time talking about your role as global pastor at (laughs) Tenth Church. And how is your church engaging with material poverty, both locally and globally?
0: Oh, great question. Um, yeah, I think it's been a lot of years. Our senior pastor Ken Shigematsu has really cast a vision for walking alongside those that are impoverished uh, materially. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I remember a lot of years ago, he keeps telling the story of many years ago. There was a uh, come to the church in the morning, and there was a, a a man that had no home that had passed away in front of the, the front of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that, led our some of our folks in our church to really figure out, hey, what what can we do? What can we do to mm-hmm. make sure this doesn't happen again? So we opened up a, a ministry called Out of the Cold, and then eventually turned into a, a program called Oasis. And even till today, we have mm-hmm. our Oasis Cafe, which mm-hmm. really endeavors to build relationships with our community. Tenth Church is located kind of right in the middle of east and west in Vancouver, right? We're very close to the downtown east side and east Vancouver, Uh yet we're also connected to the west side and all the way up to UBC. So we're kind of in the center of this this life. So we've created a church, Ken has created Mm -hmm. a church and the staff where there is just a lot of, um, yeah, just a lot of collaboration, a -hmm. lot of um, diversity. And Mm -hmm. I think that diversity is a welcoming place for all sorts of folks, whether they're from the downtown east side or whether they're from Afghanistan,
1: mm, right? And we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about from Afghanistan in a moment. Can we just circle back for a quick second? Can you just let our listeners know what the Oasis Cafe is? Because I've been there, and I, I it's just a beautiful ministry.
0: Mm, yeah, no. The, the Oasis Cafe is simply a place where people can come and feel welcomed, and connected, and listened to. And have a meal over a meal. You know, I think mm-hmm. one of our values is you know larger tables, not higher fences, mm-hmm. right? Instead of creating that higher fence and protecting us from folks from the outside, we want to build larger tables and bring them inside and just share life together. And so oh, that's right. the philosophy behind the Oasis Cafe. Uh, mm-hmm. Many of our staff were from the community, and now they are have positions of volunteer, even paid staff, and they they mm-hmm. serve. So the idea is to sit down cafe rather than um, you know standing in line and, and, and receiving some food, which, you know, there's a real need for that as well. But we've decided to make it a little, maybe not quite as large, but have it a place where we people can come inside, sit at the table, order off a menu. There's an option that they can actually choose what they want to have mm-hmm. on the menu. And they're served to the table by our, our servers and our hosts and our, and the people that care for the ministry. So we're really trying to um, take away the, the us versus them, and just it's mm-hmm. all we. It's all we that are right. being this together, serving each other in love and listening to each other's stories. And, yes. and really that mutual transformation that takes place, right? It's not us mm-hmm. serving, but it's us serving each other, I think, is a key value of, of the mm-hmm. Oasis Cafe.
1: And I, I love how everyone in the picture, the, one of the goals <laughs> is the dignity and mm. the respect for one another. So that's that's beautiful. And I'm sure that like, I may I may
0: just add if yeah. it's okay. I may yeah, just of add course. that that um and this is kind of interesting, uh, kind of tying FH into this a little bit because um our 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 director of community engagement, her name is Debbie Hawker. Debbie was a university student and she came to volunteer at the Oasis Cafe and out of the cold, and she was a rock star. She really mm. was amazing and engaging with volunteers and was a Mm -hmm. real bright light. I brought her to the Philippines on a Mm short-term trip as a co-leader, and we did some business as mission sessions there. And while she did those sessions, she really learned a little bit about, um, you know, the whole idea of sustainability and enterprise. She came back and Mm -hmm. became on the board of Just Work, and she was on with them for quite a a while, all the while getting a job at the uh, Vancouver Police. Oh. But a few years ago, she felt the call to come back to 10th and and actually be the project manager of all of our local initiatives, including Oasis Cafe. But I I say this because it was about a couple years before that, we did a, a, called it back then the Poverty Revolution Bootcamp, now Ending Poverty Together workshop, but she was part of that. And so a lot of the philosophy that we are rolling out in the Oasis Cafe was wrestled with and decided through um, a lot of the workshops we've had with The Mm. Food for the Hungry. So really grateful for the worldview and the tools that Food for the Hungry has gifted to 10th and how that's really helped influence our programs as well.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. It's so encouraging as, you know, the education lead to hear that. This education, these opportunities that we're offering are actually making a significant difference in the lives of people who are engaged. So thank you for sharing that. And if you're listening and you're curious about that, it is no longer called Poverty Revolution Boot Camp. As Patrick mentioned, we just found that too many people thought they were going to come and have to do push-ups and
0: (laughs) boot camp (laughs) exercise.
1: So it's Ending Poverty Mm. Together Workshop, which we, we are still doing and happily so. So, Patrick, you mentioned the Afghanistan people. You at Tenth have a particular passion, you've touched on this a little bit, about welcoming strangers, newcomers, and refugees. And mm-hmm. so, I want to just open that door and ask you to speak to how is your church doing this? Because I know you're doing it well.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks, and You know, it's, um, it's been an evolution that we had no idea what we're getting into. It just, when the world first learned about the Syrian crisis, we got together as a leadership team and said, hey, we've got to do something. Uh, what can we do with some of the tools we learned from, you know, asset-based community development? We realized some of the assets we have is our people within our church, volunteers, and we also have a relationship with a settlement agency called Journey Home. And mm. so Journey Home works with asylum seekers and those that are seeking protection here in Canada. They're not sponsored refugees. These are ones that are already here in Canada seeking asylum. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to build on that relationship we had with Journey Home and Mm -hmm. created a core team and thought, oh, we'll just kind of walk alongside one family a year and see where that takes us. Fast forward today, we have more than a couple hundred that we walk alongside. So it's been quite a Mm. a, a development over the years, but things really picked up. with one of um, an Afghan girl that came, I won't say her name, um, but she came and, just like many, when they arrive in Canada, they end up in a shelter downtown, and it was a little bit traumatizing for her. She had really mm-hmm. had a traumatic experience as a one that had advocated for women's rights and education of women and children in mm-hmm. Afghanistan. You know, came here uh, from you know a, a horrendous journey in many ways, and then ends up mm-hmm. in a in a shelter, which was very difficult. And when we heard I'm of too. her, we were able to connect with a family at 10th Church where she moved into this family mm-hmm. and actually lived with them for a couple of years. Um, hmm. but what was really amazing was just after she arrived and moved into the new place, we were having our annual camp at Thetis Island. We work with Intervarsity Pioneer Camps, Pioneer okay. Pacific Camps. Yeah. And so Mim Wickett, who is our refugee coordinator, um, invited this woman to come join them at camp. So she mm-hmm. went from being downtown east side into a family and then hmm. into this camping experience where she was I mean welcomed beyond belief right and you know mm-hmm. um just being able to hear her story be able to feel comfortable and supported and loved and and learning how to ride a bicycle for the first time learning how to swim <laughs> the cool thing was is that uh, so she settles in her house and she ends up getting all of her, you know, her hearing, and she becomes a protected citizen of Canada, and, and it's all mm. wonderful. She gets a good mm-hmm. job. Then this last summer, we had the first full-on newcomers camp. We had a hundred newcomers at Thetis island. They dedicated the entire camp for us and our folks, mostly ah. from Afghanistan, some from Iraq, from uh, some other places in the world.
1: But incredible. it was
0: entirely dedicated to our newcomer community. And so five days, you know, imagine just the, the fun, the joy, you know, learning uh, how to swim again, uh, water sports, yes. volleyball, yeah. soccer, you know, a daily table talk from hmm. folks that really had been walking alongside international people for a long time. So it was a very sensitive discussion hmm. that, that was led. Uh, tremendous food. We had Afghan food. We had Canadian food and Mm -hmm. we had a wedding so the woman that i was first told you about she wanted to have her wedding at Thetis island pioneer camps
1: and so it was
0: a it was a full-on afghan wedding i don't think i've ever experienced so much joy in one day in my life it was just dancing and food and a lot of the traditional stuff changing clothes all that was happening yeah um and to think where so many of these folks had come from over the last couple mm-hmm. years, last year in mm-hmm. particular, since the fall of Kabul and the takeover of the Taliban, yeah. just the joy of being able to celebrate a wedding in a place where they felt safe and protected and loved. It oh. was really a tremendous, tremendous joy.
1: What a gift. Oh my goodness. That's a phenomenal story. Wow. There's so many pieces in there. and And I just love how... As you're speaking, there's just naturally coming out, oh, and we partner with Journey Home, and oh, we connect with the Thetis Island camp, and collaboration and connection and partnership seems to be a huge part of how you do
0: what you do. That exactly is our model, Um, even on a global level as well. I won't say much about Cambodia, but Mm -hmm. we've been working in Cambodia for 15 years, and we have 10 mature partnerships and starting Mm. with many of these organizations were very, very small when he first connected with them 15 years ago. And Mm -hmm. some like Alongsiders, which is um, the founder is Craig Greenfield and his his motto or the motto of the organization is to walk alongside those who walk alone. So it started Mm. off as a small group um, that we connected with 15 years ago, and now they not only have tens of thousands of big brothers and big sisters, little mothers, little sisters, it's a big brothers model, okay. uh-huh. um, mentoring, discipleship, leadership development. Um, they are now in over 20 countries in the world based out of Cambodia. And so as ones that have been from them from near the beginning, um, uh-huh. yeah, we see the partnership model is just a beautiful, beautiful way to do things, sharing each other's gifts and talents and strengths, uh, not having to reinvent the wheel. You just Really Mm -hmm. take the time to really discern Mm -hmm. and ask questions and find the partner that has the same values. When we went to Cambodia for the first time, we interviewed more than 20 organizations. And then we actually had somebody on the ground that knew all those organizations debrief them. On a mm-hmm. boat on the Mekong with you know over eating pizza <laughs> and <the> frogs legs, <laughs> and of
1: course and, pizza and frogs
0: legs and prayer. And then we discern uh-huh. our our first four partners from that experience. But I, I we really believe in a partnership model locally, also mm. and globally as well.
1: Hmm. Well, if there are pastors listening, I hope they take away that that's the key to success is pizza, frogs legs, and prayer.
0: <laughs> yes, you got it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there it is, right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Patrick. Why do you think that being a place of welcome is important for the future of the church, the church that admittedly is probably struggling in Canada right now?
0: Mm, Shalane, another great question. Yeah, th- th- there's a lot of struggles happening um, in the church, in our society. There's increased polarization. Um, but didn't Jesus say that the world will know that he is the Lord when we love one another, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, so there's absolutely. just something about kind of laying down our preferences and our rights and our ways of doing things and just embracing others with sacrificial love that creates a space mm-hmm. for Jesus <laughs> and it creates a space for others to to come and and kind of be be part of the table, be part of the the conversation uh, rather mm-hmm. than alienating, but to welcome. And I mean, we learn a lot through the scriptures about you know blessing those that persecute us, right? And you mm-hmm. know, there's there's a world out there that um, is not always in favor of the message of Christ and, and and our lives, but at the same time, you know, we are invited and actually called to mm-hmm. step into the arena and mm-hmm. and and uh, and and sacrifice and trust God for the resources to be able to love well. Sometimes mm-hmm. I think I know me anyway. Sometimes I kind of rely on my own resources a bit too much, and I think, oh, I've got it all figured out, but. As we take a step back, allow our roots to go down deep in finding nourishment in our relationship with God. Out of that place, mm-hmm. that we can become a, a welcoming place, a welcoming mm-hmm. space, and and I think it doesn't it, it doesn't just stop at being a welcoming place where oh it's it's great for you to come to church, it's great for you to be part of our lives, but actually, um to, to actually to, to take it to the next step to to be a friend, to be mm-hmm. have a long term enduring friendship. That's really our major goal with our with our refugee work, with our newcomer work is that Mm -hmm. we build long-term, enduring relationships. Sometimes the temptation in in churches where you have a lot of other things you can be doing, there's a lot of seminars you can go to, a lot of small groups, a lot of teaching, a lot of places, a lot of places to volunteer is to just try everything a little bit. And that's fine. Mm. Um, But when you do find the place that God's called you into, stick to it for a while if you can. Mm. Especially when you're dealing with folks on the margins a little bit. Um right. they don't really like it when we're in and out of their lives and this it, it, is a lot more effective if we can say okay you know what I'm going to show up to this every two weeks for the next year and and build a relationship even when it's not as exciting as it would be to mm-hmm. go to that other thing that's down the road right but right. just focus on those enduring relationships mem our i mentioned before our refugee coordinator she would mm-hmm. say that 70% of our ministry is in living rooms yes. our living rooms and living yeah. rooms of the folks it's just, you know, sharing meals mm-hmm. together. And so, well, yeah.
1: I, I really appreciate you commenting on that, Patrick, because I think oftentimes when people hear something like this, they think 10th church is doing that. Mm. But the building is not doing this. <laughs> no, no. Right? It's yes. the individuals who are building the relationships who yes. are being able to be in these places of impact. And I know you and I know this work well enough to know mm-hmm. that it would be remiss for us to, to just focus on the benefit to the asylum seekers and the newcomers, mm-hmm. because your Canadian church members' lives are being changed as well.
0: What's interesting, Shalane, is that with our newcomer work, we are hardly ever even use our building, because our building mm. is not in a very good location, because most of our newcomers live Surrey, Langley, Maple Ridge, New West, Burnaby, and a few in okay. Vancouver. So actually, when we meet, we meet every week um, uh-huh. somewhere, <laughs> and it's often a park, or if it's a, another another building, we often meet at the Journey Home office, which is in Burnaby, near the Royal okay. Oak Skytrain Station. Uh-huh. And so we actually do not even hardly use our building for the work we do. It's living rooms, mm. it's parks, it's locations we met almost all the way through the pandemic and in parks, mm-hmm. um, because newcomers still arrived, refugees still arrived, even during the pandemic, sure. even though so many offices were closed down, but the church wasn't closed down. And so we were available yeah. for folks. And the other thing is we don't have hardly any staff hours to go into this. We have, it's almost entirely, it's entirely volunteer driven. So, mm. the, so it is very, very sustainable. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, you know, training and equipping, and onboarding the right people. I have such an unbelievable core team, or we have mm-hmm. such an unbelievable core team that highly skilled, huge hearts, massively sacrificial. And mm. they just, I've said no to some other things and said, this is my thing for now, building an enduring relationship with a newcomer.
1: Mm-hmm. Patrick, I can imagine uh, pastors listening to this and saying, I got to talk to this guy. Mm. I got to know, how did how did you get to a place where you have such a committed core group of volunteers, mm-hmm. and not a small number, a large
0: mm-hmm. number, mm-hmm. and we always could use many, many more. <laughs> we're, actually, <laughs> <coughs> Perfect. we're actually, we're actually at a place right now, really focusing on that whole structure of. In fact, we're pointing now a volunteer coordinator that really their job is really to ensure that those volunteers are cared for and nurtured. They have very specific roles. And they feel like they're part of the bigger picture and valued and mm. part of a team. Um, mm-hmm. Because when there's so much, so many tasks to be done, there are so many tasks. And there's like every family that comes, we had a new fellow just come a couple of days ago. He was, you know, 20 years old, homeless, didn't, he'd only been here from Afghanistan for a couple of days. And mm-hmm. that night we had him in our, one of our settlement homes downtown, which was a gift of some friends of ours. They have gifted us a settlement house in downtown Vancouver to use for- wow. And so when people I think hear the vision and they want to get involved they go, "Well, I've got a I've got a bedroom or mm-hmm. I've got a suite mm-hmm. or I've got an ability to teach someone how to use the transit system or mm-hmm. I can drop off a a gift a welcome package." You know there's yes. every there's a, there's something that everybody can do. Um, right. and another big part of what is our core team has been working on is vocational mobility. So then mm-hmm. we actually have pathways for a lot of our newcomers to then either go back to school or get jobs through uh, one of our core leaders who has a tremendous expertise in this, as one that came not as a refugee, but as a migrant. He was a surgeon um, and then didn't couldn't initially practice here, so went to law school, became a lawyer. And then he now uses both of those, he teaches in in the university, but then he uses those skills that he developed himself to transition. He passes that on to our newcomer community. Mm -hmm. He uses his skills and his experiences and he coaches our newcomers, our new friends, um, how Mm -hmm. they can be on this pathway to mobility in their vocation.
1: Mm -hmm. Which is so important because Newcomers often come as highly trained and highly skilled individuals, but their credentials are not valued or validated here, and they end up in positions that are really tough, actually. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, Yeah. wow. Well, I feel like we could chat much longer, but our time Mm -hmm. is coming to an end. I would love to hear what... What would you like to leave our listeners with today, Patrick? What are what are some encouragements or some thoughts? What would you like to, to end with?
0: Oh, wow. So much. But I think what I will say, I had a, a leader once that did a TED Talk, and it was called Meant to be Spent for the Benefit of Others. Hmm. And that's been a phrase that stuck with me, that we are meant to be spent for the benefit of others, because if hmm. we do not spend ourselves for others, we likely will spend ourselves on ourselves, right? <laughs> and so, so true. Um, and that reminds me a lot of Isaiah 58, you know, when we learn about what the very thing God loves and what he despises. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll just, it's okay if I read this, I'll just read this real quick. Yes, please. Is this not the fasting I have chosen? Um, is this not the spiritual exercises that I have chosen? Hmm. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? It's a bit what we're doing, I think, with newcomers, mm-hmm. helping, helping the, the wanderer find shelter. Mm-hmm. When you see the naked to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And then this is what blows me away is just the benefits of when you spend yourself for others. Then mm-hmm. your light will break forth like the dawn, your healing will quickly appear, your righteousness mm. will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will become your rear guard. And you will call, the Lord will answer, you will cry for help, and he, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves, here we go, the spending word, <laughs> if you mm-hmm. spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like the noon day. and mm-hmm. it goes on and on and on, explaining mm-hmm. the benefits to those that spend themselves on behalf of others instead of spending ourselves on ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's that's you mentioned it earlier. We talk about it at FH often. That mutual transformation. It's it's mm-hmm. all of us on this journey together. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for taking time to be here today. I really appreciate your insights and your passion. If there are people who would like to connect with you, how can they reach you? How can they, how can they connect with you or with Tenth Church?
0: Hmm. Well, my email is real easy. It's patrick at tenth.ca, T-E-M-T-H-C-A. Um, I'm not a big social media guy, but I am going to start populating an Instagram page. So that's Patrick mm. Elaschuk. Okay. And uh, but I would recommend you go check out um, our our global page, which is tenth.ca/global, and mm-hmm. that way you can learn a bit more about what we're doing with newcomers and refugees and some of our work in Cambodia um, and other parts of the world. So that's mm-hmm. what I recommend you go is tenth.ca/global. And also you can find my email there as well. So probably that's the place, the Perfect. go-to place. Okay.
1: That's the spot. All right. Well, thank you so much. And if you're listening and you want to explore what your next steps could be or find out more about FH Canada and 10th Church, you could also start by checking out fhcanada.org resources.